to our latest podcast in our series around buildings of the future. I'm Kaz Mohammed, the Vice President for Digital Energy at Schneider Electric. And today we will be exploring smart building design and some of the challenges faced in the supply chain. I'm joined here today by Tom Hopton from Borough Happel, who has 15 years of industry experience around smart buildings controls. He also won the Sibley 2020 Building Services Engineer of the Year Award. Welcome, Tom. Hi, Kaz. Thank you. Um, yeah, great introduction. Um, so, yeah, I, I, as you said, I've been in the industry 15, 16 years now. Um, I currently lead the Smart Buildings and Controls team for Bureau Happold. And my route to where I am today, I guess, started, you know, I, I came into the industry quite quite young, quite green. I started as a, a trainee technician for Bureau Happold uh, 15 years ago. And over the years, that role has changed. Um, started off as a, a systems engineer. That evolved into controls. Um, and that's where I developed my passion for kind of technology in the built environment, right? And, and just, you know, huge opportunity for for technology in our industry to kind of move us towards our goals of kind of net zero carbon and just better performance, better performing buildings. So let's let, let's talk about that then. So we've seen a lot in the media around net zero carbon, um, you know, a lot that different businesses and governments are also committing around net zero. And I've seen that the figures kind of banded around 2050, 2040. Schneider Electric are saying 2030 will ultimately be net zero. How, how much do you think that is influencing the way buildings are being designed? So um, Bureau Hapold have got a, um, a, several targets around zero carbon. As an operating business, we have committed to be zero carbon from April this year. Um, we've made a commitment that all of our new build projects will be zero carbon by 2030. And by 2040, all of our existing retrofit refurbishment projects will be zero carbon too. Um, and we're seeing that commitment from a number of our clients too. And, um, you know, the, the emphasis around zero carbon is really hitting home. And I think that that zero carbon um, agenda is coinciding with a number of other key industry shifts as well. We've got the healthy building shift that was already incubated, incubated before COVID, but now it's just accelerated. We've also got this shift around agile working, which is um, changing the landscape of how we design and deliver buildings because you know, buildings for the last year or so have been um, not occupied, right? And as we move forward, we're gonna see a dramatic shift on how we use buildings. And then, of course, we've got this uh, over, over layer of kind of ESG. You know, buildings need to make a social contribution. And there needs to be good reporting around our buildings to properly govern um, commercial real estate because it's such a huge impact on society. So really quite fundamental shifts, uh, I think, and it's a really exciting time to be in the industry. Absolutely. I think, I mean, that's that's probably a good phrase to use. It's very exciting at the moment. This is probably the biggest shift in the way we're thinking about our buildings that we've seen in maybe since the, the Industrial Revolution. And I guess one of the, the, the kind of things I'm thinking about, and I'm sure some of our listeners are as well, is that 
we've had a lot of this change put on us in the last year. So this acceleration, as you say, about healthy buildings, the way that we're actually going to use buildings as well going forward. Is there a way that we, we need to kind of future-proof maybe our designs and our thinking for the next unforeseen acceleration or the next trend that we're just not talking about today? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look back in history and you will, you will see that whenever we're faced with you know, unforeseen events, uh, and COVID is a recent example, right? Initially, there was a period of, of chaos, and I think we've all kind of felt that chaos over the last year or so. But then, you know, we looked at technology to put us back on that path of order, right? That, that, that allows us to continue uh, along our journey towards our, our, our goals, yeah. That could be uh, net zero carbon, it could be kind of healthy buildings, but it's just bet a better built environment for society. And I think, you know, we, we need to focus in a few different areas. And um, I think we need to focus on building IT, OT uh, investment. And by that, I mean, you know, we need to invest more into the operating networks um, because they're just way behind, right? Way behind ever kind of industry sectors. We can no longer afford to have all these disparate OT networks that are kind of stringed throughout our buildings like spaghetti. You know, those networks become strained very quickly. Um, you know, when, whenever we want to do something extra into the future, and that could be as, as close as one, two, three, five years into the future, we have this problem of kind of um, legacy OT networks that are just not built for the future needs. And then um, I think we need, you know, uh, IT grade networks in our buildings. Um, and we need the OT kind of OEMs and, and the systems integrators to kind of develop that, that, that platform in, in our built environment. You know, the SIs need to kind of upskill, I believe, to, you know, ensure that we've got that kind of plug and play um, facility in our buildings like we do in other kind of IT uh, scenarios. We need, we need to move towards a, you know, a proper IT grade network in, in our buildings and that just kind of helps smooth the line to these kind of future adaptations in buildings. And I, and I think, you know, IT professionals, you know, they need to kind of meet us halfway uh, and embrace OT into their kind of systems of responsibility rather than kind of pushing it into the facilities teams who are, let's face it, less well-equipped to deal with the kind of need of remote connectivity and in interoperability and just comms resilience, right? Um, and then, you know, with that, with greater connectivity, you know, we, we need to kind of push forward um, around cybersecurity in, in the built environment. You know, that's a huge problem. Uh, and I don't think it's well understood in industry. And um, there was a, a recent report that came out of the US recently that highlighted something in the region of 60% of BMS systems that are connected or connected without a firewall. And where a firewall was present, um, you know, the vast majority of those firewalls were just left unmanaged. So that's, that's a kind of never, never layer. So you've got the IT layer, you've got the kind of IT management of that layer. The next step beyond that, I believe, is the data layer. And, um, you know, we need to focus on that 
uh, on, on data in the built environment in the same way that we focus on you know, the physical assets in our buildings. Because um, you know, the data brings kind of higher value, right? And in some ways it brings higher value, higher value than the physical object itself. Um, so a temperature sensor might cost tens of pounds, but if that temperature sensor is not reading correctly, then it can cost thousands of pounds. And you can push that all the way through, you know, the technology that we find in buildings, BAV boxes, fan cleanups, you know, they might cost hundreds of, of pounds, but running incorrectly, again, it can cost thousands, even scale it up to a chiller. A chiller might cost tens of thousands of pounds, but if it's running incorrectly, it can be, you know, magnitudes of, of kind of two, three times that in avoidable energy costs for buildings. So all those things are around kind of the IT layer and the cybersecurity layer, the data layer, all these things build strong foundations for delivering on our current needs, uh, uh, you know, and our challenges around zero carbon and healthy buildings and agile working, there are strong reasons for developing, you know, strong foundations in a built environment. Um, but who knows what the future might hold, right? Uh, we might not know what the demands of our buildings may be in the next five, 10 years. And so we need that strong foundation uh, in our buildings to kind of help us move forward and adapt adapt to, to those needs in the future. It's just resilience. Resilience is just good sustainability in action. Okay, very, very interesting. I'm sure we could go into a much wider topic there about data and, and cyber and IT as well as, uh, well, I think that the, the point there of having that, that backbone very much is fundamental. And if you get the backbone right, then everything else can kind of be built and developed off the, the back of it. It still needs its kind of fine tuning, but that's pretty key. Okay, so let's let's kind of switch gears a little bit, Tom, in terms of, so there's some of the things that we think are the, the points of attention. We've talked in previous podcasts around, you know, the value that smart buildings bring and very much there is a link there with, with the net zero, zero carbon agenda. What do you think are the, the, the kind of key barriers to smart buildings. You work in the supply chain, you're very much early in that supply chain and you see buildings all the way through into their, their life. What are you seeing as the challenges? It's, it's such a complex industry we work in, right? Um, I think it's unlike any other industry. Look at the car or the aviation industry, you know, they've got a particular product and they've got greater control of that product. I think in our industry, we've got, and um, you know multiple stakeholders unlike any other industry and we've got uh, uh, a marketplace that is you know when we talk about smart uh, uh, you know marketplace around smart building technology is hugely diverse right and it's confusing for many clients add to that you know it's an industry that is growing at an accelerating rate and and that that provides you know, a, a recipe for more confusion, particularly, you know, as a consultant advising clients around smart technology, I often get confused around the kind of return on investment um, picture that um, is put forward by many vendors. You know, there's a lot of ambiguity around what is the return on investment. When does good practice steer into a smart building technology? You know, how do you justify those figures that have been um, floated around. Uh, and, and that 
that ROI ambiguity is kind of rife, I think, in our industry. We need kind of good, good, good industry standards to kind of help help cut through all that marketing marketing hype. Smart certification schemes are great for the industry because they provide um, they provide an industry understanding of some of the terminology, and they help us identify those kind of foundational steps for delivering a smart building. Where we need to tread with caution is in just the, you know deploying a smart building that is trying to fit all needs for all people. And we should focus on those foundational levers and then be quite targeted on the use cases that support the individual stakeholders and building users. There's also cost of entry. I think cost of entry for many clients can be prohibitive. Um, but I think that cost is coming down because you know, technology is becoming cheaper. I think some of the barriers we're seeing now is just you know, the skills force deploying that technology is not quite there yet. Um, and cost of entry, um, cost of entry is, 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 you can navigate through that if you've got a certain scale of project. Um, when the scale of the project becomes um, smaller, you have to be quite targeted, um, um, but standards can help kind of e ease the way of that. So there, there's, there's a, an area of kind of just greater, greater standardization of these technologies you know, can take that back into the IT world, take that back into the data world, but we need we need industry to kind of adopt rigor around the standards of these these products. Um, and going touching back onto that network piece again, you know, the network infrastructure um, is not always there for adopting these technologies. You know, we still see in 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 our work, you know. Um, projects or solutions that lean towards these kind of disparate kind of networks that doesn't help us think beyond the core function of that one particular network. Um, any of us, so another one is time to value. You know, that's quite a big one. You know, we pick up a, a design project and we're trying to um, justify investment into technology is not going to return on, on value for, you know, two, three, four years is the you know, design program. And then you've got construction program. Um, and then you've got the operational benefits that come after. Um, so it's time to value is, is quite long compared to adopting technologies elsewhere in different industries. And then final one, you know, there's quite a few here, I guess. But final one is just, you know, disjointed uh, value to an investment chain. Um, and I think the construction industry is quite unique in that sense. You know, we we talk to a lot of stakeholders, um, but those stakeholders aren't always the the um, people that are in charge of the budgets. You know, you don't have to look at the um, commercial sector to know you've got developers um, there that are developing a building to either flip to sell or to kind of earn and operate. They are not the end users of the building. People are the end users of the building. So you've got this kind of disconnect between the benefits that smart buildings can have on the end users and the people that are holding the budget strings, the purse strings for a project. And that, that can be a challenge to navigate through, compounded by that, that kind of ambiguity around return on investment.
and time to value. Um, so yeah, the, the, the last one is just disjointed value to an investment chain. And, and, and I guess, you know, if I was to piece together there some of the challenges and if I was looking to kind of overcome them, when it, when it works well, I'd imagine there's the, the piece around early engagement with the right people around the table. Like you said, we've got the right stakeholder, we've got the purse strings person, we've got the person that is going to be managing and designing the infrastructure backbone as well of the building and how that fits together and then some of the other players around the table. And there's that greater focus on what, what value is it bringing on the OPEX? Because if it's just clearly an exercise looking at the cost to build, the cost to get this building up and running, then you're going to kind of fail at day zero of uh, opening that building and not necessarily selecting the right technology for the building going forward. Yeah. I mean, for, that, that's exactly right. For me, smart is kind of outcome driven. And if you... You, you need to engage with the stakeholders. And there are many stakeholders in the buildings. You know, you've got the end users, you've got kind of HR, you've got the IT people, you've got the operators, you've got the owners, you've got the operators. There, there are so many there. And when it works well for us is when we uh, have the opportunity to engage uh, with those stakeholders, which is a challenge in, in, it, in itself, particularly if we're talking about a building project that is not actually gonna become live for those stakeholders for two to three years, four years, five years. That's the challenge in itself. And those stakeholders might change in that period. Um, but yes, smart has to be outcome driven. Smart has to bring value to those stakeholders for it to mean something. Okay, uh, interesting. So in terms of, you talked then about the end user and the end user engagement, what would your, you know, your message be to end users which are already or about to embark on their next development, the next building, it's going to be truly smart. It's going to give them, you know, they've got all of these great ideas with respect to the outcomes it's going to give them in three, four, five years time. What would your message be to them about how can they effectively get that building in the way that they want it? I think, well, the approach we take is to, um, you know, run a series of quite interrogative workshops not focusing on technology straight away, but just focusing on, you know, that stakeholder's role, their um, objectives, their pain points, and where they see the opportunities are. You know, where can they improve on their, on their tasks? How can they automate it? It's only once you capture that down across your stakeholder groups, can you find synergy between you know, the commonality between those stakeholder needs, those user requirements. And once you find that synergy, then you can home in on um, you know, the most, most cost-effective solution. What we really want to try to get to is um, you know, this, this, uh, this kind of multi-use case layer where we're avoiding a single point solution to address one stakeholder. We want a solution that will address multiple stakeholders and gives you that foundation to build use cases up into the future. Because that, you know, those stakeholder interviews, they might identify your kind of day one needs, but they won't necessarily identify what the needs are going to be in the next five, 10 years time. So we start, we start with that stakeholder interrogative kind of workshops we 
we capture their, their pain points, we capture their opportunities, we find a synergy of solutions that, that will support you know, the stakeholder groups, and then we build up from that point. Um, and capturing those requirements is extremely useful when you get three, four years down the line, when you're into you know, the procurement phase and you're faced with kind of pressures around cost and value engineering, and some of these solutions are called into question, it's extremely valuable to go back to that digital record and say, we're doing this because X, X, Joe Bloggs from, you know, facilities team is currently running around um, his site trying to, um, you know, adjust the thermal settings to keep his customers happy or, or he's running around doing some breaker checks to make sure that, the, you know, the building's kind of resilient to kind of power outage. We always need to be able to track back to that kind of stakeholder requirement if we're going to stand a chance to protect the solution from, you know, the commercial financial pressures in, in delivery. It becomes like a, almost like a chartership. And, and I guess, is that your, is that your measurement as well for success? Are you looking at then the, the, the data that can be quantified once the building is up and running to kind of measure against them potential outcomes that you've agreed with the client in them workshops all that, that time ago? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest gaps I think we've got in industry is we don't go back and we don't measure outcomes um, like we should. Um, I think, you know, if we, if we talk about smart building um, in a broader sense, we should be collecting data from all new buildings, right? Uh, and there are some fundamental kind of pieces that we should be collecting across that portfolio of buildings around energy consumption, around carbon consumption. We need to be better at, at measuring you know, how effective our maintenance teams are. We need to be better at measuring how, how effective the environments are at creating that environment that allows the building function to thrive. You know, if we're talking about an office building, it allows people to thrive at their task in the optimum environment. So there are bottom line kind of things that we can measure around energy, carbon, to some extent, FM, and there are top line me measurements we can take around, you know, environments that are productive for building users, environments or technology or experience-led um, technology that engages with with people. Um, yeah, so look, we need to be much better at measuring, measuring and verifying performance, and performance in that holistic sense, not just energy. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, the data points there, you covered it earlier on, there's so much that can be extracted from a building as well. And um, I think that reliability and quality of data that you mentioned, but also the efficiency of what, what data are we actually looking at? Is it meaningful and, and tagging it against the outcomes is a, is a real need going forward. I know we're all swimming in our own kind of pools of data and, and making it more insightful is, is definitely the, the key uh, game going forward um, so okay so let's 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 kind of just finish on probably get your thoughts Tom with respect to you know you've been in the industry for 15 plus years around smart buildings and controls you know like, and, and going through this kind of key period right now as well what have you seen as the kind of key evolutions over that period of time 
Right, well, when I first started in industry, um, you know, sustainability was always a driving force for kind of Bureau Happold. Um, and I think, you know, ever kind of social um, recognition of the climate crisis is, is pushing clients and their building projects to become, you know, more efficient and smarter as a, as a result. Um, when I look back on my career, you know, some of those early projects, it was like, you know, we need a token technology that brands our building as sustainable versus today where it's not just a, a brand and exercise, although of course, you know, that still helps, right? But where we have a, a lot of clients that have made a commitment to zero carbon, and once you make that commitment, you have to stand by it, which means, you know, you need to measure it and disclose it. And that's not a one-time deal. You know, you need systems that can respond to the dynamics of, of building operations. And that's users, that's weather, that's kind of grid pricing, that's, you know, just the dynamics of kind of building operations. You know, it's changes on kind of how space is used, it's changes, changes in how assets are operated and maintained. You know, a smart building is, is kind of capable of and, and seeks to kind of respond to that ever-changing kind of need in a building. And, you know, to be truly sustainable, we need that kind of mindset in our approach to kind of new buildings and, and refurbishments and retrofits. Um, but when, one, of my, one of my first projects, um, well, not my first project, it was probably about 2010 to, to 2014, we did a project with EDF. Um, and that project, you know, was a grade one listed refurb you know, we had a target to reduce the um, passive energy uh, of the building by 50%. Of the remaining 50% of carbon, we were tasked with reducing that by further 50% by the deployment of renewable technologies, you know, ground source heat pumps, solar thermal. But we, we, you know, also looked very closely at controls and, you know, we had, um, yeah, HVAC controls that were linked to room booking systems. We had a building app that was delivering some kind of ethical messaging when users were pushing their temperature up. Um, and that, that was 2010, 2012. Um, you know, we didn't, I didn't have a smartphone back then because <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have this term of smart buildings. Um, but, you know, looking back, that was a smart building. So I think it's always been there. And I think there, there is greater demand for it now. And I think we should use the last year or so uh, and all the chaos that has occurred in the last year to really latch onto it and, and you know, embrace technology as, as, a way, as a way for our industry to take a stride forward in where we need to be. Um, so yeah, it's it's very exciting time. I, I think that's a great point, Tom. And if, if if I was to think back, you know, we've probably spent a similar time in the industry. And I do think back to when I first came in, we had a term then called intelligent BMS, intelligent building management systems. And essentially it was pulling together lots of different components, some of it being Schneider electric systems, some of it being third party, like I said, room booking systems, lift management fire alarms and we were kind of pulling that all into a single pane of glass um, type scenario and pushing the data 
but it was the exception. It wasn't the norm. We were doing that for the more forward-thinking projects and, and requirements of the time. And now, I guess, we're in that process of trying to find out how do we industrialise that type of scenario? What are them lessons learned? So I think that final point, I mean, really good talking to you today, Tom. The points around, ultimately, early engagement is key. Um, if we're going to get this right and focus on the outcomes, we've heard this so many times before is we will get kind of sidetracked if we don't kind of focus on the outcomes and having the right stakeholders that are inputting into that. Um, and then this IT backbone, this unification of all the systems and the services and how that's going to look on the actual um, operational life of a building. Um, and then the, I guess the closing the loop measuring on the outcomes through the life cycle, making them tweaks and adjustments as needed. Um, it's been great speaking to you today, Tom. Really appreciate you coming on here. And um, that's all we have got time for today. Um, so please remember to hit subscribe and I look forward to speaking to you again in the next podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys.